So I'll stand to our feet if we are able. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. We're continuing on in our series, Prepare Him Room. And um, this first time we're doing Advent, so we want to look at the prophets and what they said, what they prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. So Isaiah 11, chapter 1, when you got it, say so. And it says this, it says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and and faithfulness the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the leopard. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and little children shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who are left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Also, the envy of, Eph- of Ephraim shall, de- shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall fly down upon the shoulders of the Philistines toward the, toward the west. Together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall lay hand on Edom and Moab and the, and the people of Ammon shall obey them. The Lord will surely destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. With his mighty wind, he shall shake his fist over the river and strike it in the seven streams and shall make men cross over by dry shod. There shall be, with, shall be a highway for the remnant of his people who, who will be left from Assyria as it was for Israel in the day that he came up from the land of Egypt. God We thank you for your prophetic words. We thank you for your utterances of truth. And we thank you for the privilege that we have to serve you and worship you in this Advent season, Lord God. And even in this series, my prayer has been and is that you would help us to prepare room for you. That our minds, Lord God, would not be consumed by the the season that the world would call it, but that our hearts would be overwhelmed by the reality of what this season allows us to do as your church, to sit back and to reflect on the wonder 
and the majesty of your first coming and allows us to look forward to your second. God, I thank you for this day, and I pray that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. Use me for your glory and for your honor this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. And so hopefully you have um, brought your booklet back, which will allow you to follow along um, throughout the weeks during Advent. Um, if you didn't, if you don't have it today, um, you can raise your hand. And the ushers do have some extras, and they'd be able to help you out um, to be able to get you one if you need one to follow along and take notes. Uh, the idea is that you would bring it um, with you, and not just that, but that you would throughout the week that you would read through the scriptures, um, doing devotional time with your families. I know some of you have been posting about you know some of your experiences, and some of us have been busy um, and haven't been able to really sit down and do that. But I do encourage you to do that. Um, it's a really important thing that I think for our families to sit back. And so um, Advent really is a season of hope. It really is a season of hope. Um, the, the, the message last week that uh, Minister Lewis brought forth was, was powerful. Um, it was encouraging. And I love his idea, the, 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 the big idea or the thought of the day was hope that looks forward is a hope that looks backwards, right? A hope that looks forward is a hope that looks backwards. We have hope today because we can look back a, a, a couple thousand years at what Jesus did. And we look at a prophecy like that, which we find in the book of Isaiah and all the Old Testament and prophets. These were written hundreds of years before Jesus actually came. And every single one of these prophecies have come to pass. I was actually um, listening to someone who was speaking about the prophecies of Jesus, and I believe there's like over 300 prophecies that he fulfilled, which I think is pretty amazing and impressive, right? Like for someone to fulfill one or two things and make them come to pass, that'd be great, right? But for someone to actually fulfill hundreds of prophecies makes it impossible, right, for someone to be able to do that. That of their own ability, which shows us the supernatural reality of who Jesus is. And so I was in our core connect, uh, our last core connect of this, of this, um, of this season, and, um, and Sister Amy, she asked me a question. She said, hey, I got a couple questions to ask you, and I was like, sure. Um, and so one of the questions was, she's like, why Advent now? And she's like, I don't mean that in a bad way. She's like, but I've been in church like all my life and nobody ever mentioned this to me, right? And then she's like, and you, you know, you've never done an Advent series. You said that, never done like a, I mean, I never even, been the, my first Christmas Eve service will be the one that we do here. Hello. Never have I, have I seen that. And so it's a good question. Why Advent now? And the reason why, to be completely honest, is because my deepest, deepest motivation comes from my own family, wanting to lead them faithfully, right? Ensuring that we are preparing room for Jesus and that this season really is about him. And, and, and all the time that we've been um, you know, in, in this church and all my life as a Christian, I've always heard Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Like, I've heard that. that that's something that, that, that I believe is true in the life of most believers, right, to some extent. And they understand that Christmas is about Jesus and not Santa. Hello? Just got to tell you a little story. Y'all can pray for me because I want to lead my family faithfully. My son was in the car with my wife um, yesterday, and as they were coming back from a birthday party, I just want to show you how much of an amazing parent I am and how well I'm doing in this Advent season. And my son um, says to my wife, uh, Mommy, you know, Daddy says that Santa's not real, but it's not true. 
I'm doing great. I'm doing a great job. At least I'm letting him know, right? And I'm like, I'm like he's not. And, and so ultimately, it's, it was, it's funny for me because, the, you know, the truth is, and, and I think that there's some innocence in the whole Santa thing or whatever, so I'm not busting anybody's chops about that. But the reality is when I, when I thought about this series, like I wanted us to take a moment, and if you listen to Reverend John Davis when he came, the one thing that he said about the Advent season is what it does is it allows you to change your rhythm. It allows you to march to the beat of a different drum during this season, and that's the reason why I've decided I believe that it is important for us as a church to have this as a series that goes, that happens all the time that we, you know, come to this season of the year because the calendar, right, like there's not, like traditions are not all bad, right? Like some people just think like all traditions are bad, you know, when it comes to certain things that we see in the church, and the reality is there's some traditions that are not necessary, but there are some traditions that are good, and when you think about the preaching calendar that was set in place there's some good stuff in there there's a reason why somebody um, you know decided you know we're gonna have this time of advent after the the Sunday of Thanksgiving we're gonna take a moment and we're, we as a church are gonna change our focus we're gonna focus on the light which is Jesus which is the reason for the candles right the lighting of the candles to give us a reminder of what Jesus has done give us a reminder of the fact that the light of the gospel the light of the truth of Jesus is is right now in this season burning bright right and we should be reminded of that right as as we look at the first candle it's it's burning down and and even in some moments it gets a little bit dim and it's that way like for the church you know for the for the children of Israel when they were waiting for the coming of Jesus it was like those prophecies it was like is it going to happen is it going to occur you know it sometimes the light gets obscured but the reality is God's promises are faithful and as the light burns, we're getting closer to the return of Jesus. And so this week, we're dealing with the topic of love. You see, for me, the idea of us being sucked into the cultural commercialization of Christmas busyness is saddening. The reality is that we're more concerned about buying the perfect gift for people that really don't even need gifts. I mean, think about it, right? Like, I mean, just the reality, I mean, just, just being sincere, most of us in this room, like, we have everything we need. We don't need something else. There's some things that we want. I mean, I know me. I have a list for Christmas, like, in January, you know? And throughout the year, I'm always like, hey, babe, you know, when, when Christmas comes, you know? And, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's just natural, right? You know, actually, I'm a guy, I'm like, okay, well, my birthday is at this time. Father's Day is this day. So I just start setting it up. I'm like, okay, so for Father's Day, this is what I would like. I'm, I'm just keeping it real. Y'all pray for me. Right? But the truth is that we can get so caught up in this and we get so caught up in that. And so I, I look at this and, and we declare, like I said, Jesus is the reason for the season. And we also, you know, there's this fight, right? Like right now about Christmas, you know, taking Christ out of Christmas. And, 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 and you know, and, and they better keep Christ in Christmas or we're going to boycott them and we're going to take our money somewhere else. And hey, man, if that's you, all good. But here's the thing. Can, I, can we just be sincere for a moment? Apart from maybe a cliche statement and maybe a nativity scene somewhere around your home, are you really making room for Jesus in this season? Not, not, not just the thing that you walk by, that you dust off, not, not just something that you light up once in a while, you know, once a year when it comes out, but are you really making room for Jesus in this season? Because here's the thing I want you to think about. The love of God made room for you and it should move you to make room for him. The love of God made room for you, so it should move you to make room for him. 
And what this season does is it allows us a moment to see that and, and, and to see that reality of what Jesus does. So it causes us to pause. But I, but I would hope that this Advent season, that this, this Christmas time of the year, that it wouldn't just be a moment that we make room for him, but that it would become something that is normative for us, that we are making room for Jesus on a real level, that we are really pausing, that we are really pulling away from all of the commercialization of what Christmas is, that we're not getting sucked into just having the gifts and the things that we want, but that we are really using this season to be a blessing, that we are really using this season to encourage others' faith, that we are really using this season to show people Jesus. You know, we have some great opportunities. We have these stockings. I was so encouraged. Um, first service, typically, there's less people in the first service than the second service. And after first service, you guys rocked it last week. We made the announcement about those stockings, and literally there was only nine stockings left for second service. I mean, you guys killed it. I mean, that, that was awesome. You were moved, and I'm like, praise God for that. And I should have got all 64 stockings, glory to God. Right? But, but, but the reality is you were moved. And so, you know, we have the Christmas in the city next Saturday. Great opportunity for you to come and serve families that are underprivileged and show them that it's not just about the gifts that they're getting, but it's about the greatest gift that we have ever gotten. The greatest gift that we have ever received, which is Jesus. Can we share his love? Can we share him with others? His gift, his love made room for you and I. And we should be moved by that love to make room for him. So the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's love, God's love. lifts us up even from nothing. God's love lifts us up even from nothing. Look at verses 1 and 2 in this prophecy here by the prophet Isaiah. It says, there shall come forth a rod or a shoot in another translation. There shall come forth a rod from the stem, stem or the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The beauty of this prophecy that we see here is what? Well, first of all, I want to say this, that there's four things here that we'll see in, these portion, in this portion of Scripture in the book of Isaiah. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. The first thing we, is we see Jesus is the ancestry of Jesus. The next thing that we see is the anointing of Jesus. The third thing that we see is the administration of Jesus. And the fourth thing that we see is the accomplishments of Jesus. I'll say that again. The first thing that we see is the ancestry of Jesus, where Jesus came from. The second thing that we see is the anointing of Jesus. And that's, that, that's um, how God used him while he was on this earth. The third thing we see is his administration or the way that he is going going to govern. And the fourth thing that we see is his accomplishments. What will happen when Jesus comes to reign on this earth? And so the beauty of this prophecy here is that in the face of a seemingly bleak future for Judah is this fulfilled promise of this rod or this shoot that was going to come up. Some 600 years prior to Jesus coming on the scene, the prophet Isaiah sees this. And what you have to understand is that to really grasp what is going on here is that Isaiah is prophesying during a time when Israel is not at their peak, but Israel is on a downward spiral. They're on a downward slope. They're not living the life. They're, they're fighting for their life. 
And what has happened is there was a guy by the name of Saul, just to bring us up to speed, a guy by the name of Saul, the children of Israel, right before he becomes king, they cried out to God. They wanted a king. They cried out to Samuel, the prophet. They wanted a king. Samuel goes on ahead and gives them what they want. He anoints this guy named Saul to be king. Saul fails uh, miserably as king because from being a humble guy, he becomes a prideful guy. And in the midst of his pride, God raises up another guy by the name of David. And this guy by the name of David, he is there. He's a shepherd boy. He's out in the field. He's one of the youngest sons of Jesse. And he's there. And and Samuel goes to his house to anoint a king. And when he goes to his house to anoint a king, all the brothers of of David come before Samuel. And Samuel is like, do you not have another son? Because none of these are the Lord's anointed. None of these are the one whom the Lord has chosen. And he says, yeah, we have one more. And that one more, he says, bring him because we will not sit until he comes. David comes in beautifully anointed by the Lord king he doesn't even realize what's going on and then as you fast forward David becomes king of Israel when he becomes king of Israel Israel experiences many conquests David is is known as a man after God's own heart David is not a perfect guy by any means so don't get it twisted that somebody to be a man or woman after God's own heart means that they're perfect that's not the truth the reality is that we are all fallen we all fall short the hero of David's life is not himself it is God Almighty who was with him we have to realize that And God chose David not because of his perfection, but he chose David because he was a man who was a true worshiper, a man who really loved God, not a perfect man, but he chooses him. And so something happens. David obviously gets old just by the way of all of us will, gets old and he is going to die. And when he's getting ready to die, he appoints his son Solomon to be the next king in line. Solomon, for you guys who know Solomon, he was the wise guy. (laughs) Right? He's the wisest guy of them all, right? He he prays and the Lord's like, What would you want from me? Right. And you know, it's funny because I wonder, like, God, why would why have you never asked me that? And it's because he knows what I would ask for. Hello. Right? He asked the right questions. So he asked Solomon, What do you want from me? And Solomon's like, Well, I could ask for my enemies, I could ask for riches, but I don't ask for any of those. I ask you for wisdom to govern these people. And God says, Because you've asked this, I'm gonna give you that, and I'm gonna give you these other things that you could have asked for. And he gives him wisdom, and it's funny because Solomon, being the wisest guy of all, he does the dumbest things ever. Hello. Kind of like David, a man after God's own heart, and yet he fails miserably in so many areas, right? As a father, as you know, he, he, he has these failures in his life, right? He has some sexual immorality issues. And Solomon is the same way as his dad, just like his father. And Solomon takes it to another level. I mean, he has like 300-something concubines, like 600 wives. I mean, this guy was crazy. I mean, one wife. Amen. Two wives, that's crazy, right? 600, come on now. But let's add 300 to some concubines. Like this guy's like a thousand, anyway. But the point is, very not, very unwise, right? So I I don't know, but anyway, he, he, he was wise. And then something happens when he gets ready to die. He gets the kingdom over to his son Rehoboam. When he gives his son to Rehoboam, Rehoboam becomes king. And when he becomes the king, he comes up on the scene and he's like, okay, well, how am I going to govern these people? And so he has two groups of people that he goes to for counsel. He goes to the older wise men. And the older wise men, because what had happened was Israel had come to him and was like, hey, um, you know, are you going to be like Solomon, your father was to us? You know, or, you know, how are you going to be? And so the older wise men say, hey, man, if you just tell these people that you're going to treat them right and you're going to be good to them, they will serve you forever and everything's going to be good. And he's like, okay. And then he goes to these young bucks. These guys that are unwise, these guys that don't even know what they're talking about. And he goes to them and they're like, yo, you need to tell these people that you're going to be harder on them than, their, than your father ever was. And he's like, I like that idea. 
He goes back to them, tells them this, and these people are like, what inheritance do we have in Israel? And they leave. They bounce on him. And all of a sudden, what happens is the kingdom is now divided into Israel, the, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom between Israel and Judah. And so they're divided. So guess what? You know what the enemy, they're, they're, there's this cliche statement, right? You know, divide and conquer, right? You, you've heard that statement, right? And so this is what the enemy is trying to do to Israel. Why? Because he is trying to stop Jesus. You have to understand this. Everything the enemy does from Goliath, listen to me now, from Goliath, the one who God used David to slay, it was not about defying Israel to defy Israel. It was about bringing Israel into bondage and captivity and destroying them so that way the prophecy of, of Genesis chapter 3 about this, this son that would rise up, this seed that would rise up and crushed the head of the serpent. It was all about stopping that prophecy. The enemy was doing everything he could. And so now he found a different plan. He couldn't do it through a giant, so he does it through some ignorant people. Hello. And so now Israel is in a bad place. And you know what God does? God raised up this prophetic voice and says, listen, I'm going to raise up out of this stump, out of this seemingly dead thing, I'm going to raise up this shoot. I'm going to raise up life. See, that's the reason why I say God's love raises us up even out of nothing. See, the beauty of the gospel is that, is that God raises up Jesus out of this stump, out of this thing that, that, that nobody was even thinking about. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, what happens? I mean, you think about it. Israel's in bondage to, I mean, they're, they're, they're under Roman slavery. I mean, it is a bad situation for them. They're not flourishing. And all of a sudden, this king comes on the scene, and everybody is like, I mean, Herod, y'all remember the story, right? I mean, you guys have been to enough Christmas plays. You've read your Bible. You know the story. Herod is like the wise men come and say hey we saw this star up in the sky where's this king and Herod is like hold on a second there's a king I'm king <laughs> he's like you know what you guys go find that king and when you find him let me know I want to come and pay him homage hello <laughs> and then all of a sudden we see what homage looked like when what when he goes on Herod is like man hold on a second these wise guys they ain't coming back and he goes and he sends out this killing spree throughout the land to kill all of the firstborn under a certain age, right? I mean, it's an ugly situation, right? I mean, this is this, all the sons had to, to, to have them killed. And so the reality is God raises up this Savior, raises up this Jesus. And so the first thing that we see about him is what? We see clearly his ancestry. Jesus is what? He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Again, fulfilled prophecy where he was from. Both of his parents could be tied back to this, to, 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 to Judah. His birth in a manger, think about this, mimics the conditions described here. God raised up our Messiah from nothing, from a stump. See, this is what it allows us to do. See what God did in this manger situation. He didn't come into a palace. He came where? Into a manger. He came to a place where nobody would want to put their child, where nobody would want to give birth, but that is exactly where Jesus comes. The second thing that we see in verse 2 is we see that he is what? That the Spirit of the Lord would shall, shall rest upon him. Y'all remember the story when he was baptized, right? When Jesus gets baptized, the scripture says that the dove rested upon him. As a matter of fact, the sign that John the Baptist would know that this was the one is because he would see the Spirit resting upon him. 
And John the Baptist knew that he had seen fulfillment of his whole purpose. See, <coughs> this, this prophecy that we're dealing with today was a preparing room prophecy. It was a prophecy John the Baptist is communicating. John the Baptist is the one who is proclaiming, prepare him room, make way for the Lord, make the way straight. That is what is occurring here. John sees this baptism, and then we see all of these things in Jesus, do we not? His, his spirit rested upon him during his earth, earthly ministry. The dove descending, Jesus. Jesus demonstrates all of the characteristics described here and will again upon his return to the earth. Did you get that? Everything that was here. If you look at it, the spirit of wisdom, was Jesus not wise? Did Jesus not have understanding beyond all of those around him? Did Jesus not give good counsel? Was Jesus not mighty? Did Jesus not have knowledge? Was Jesus not empowered? And, and when he ministered, the fear of the Lord came upon people. Jesus said everything that he did, he did it for what? He did it to fulfill what? The things that the Father had said. He didn't do anything of his own will. He didn't speak except that with which he was supposed to communicate. See, the reality is this, is that the love of God brought Jesus to this earth, brought him to a manger, brought him to a cross, to a grave, and to the right hand of the Father. Here's the reality. God desires to lift us up into a relationship with himself that keeps us looking forward to an eternity with him. This is what God wants to do. He wants to raise us up into a relationship with himself. Listen, he doesn't want to raise you up the way that you may want to be raised up. He wants to raise you up in a relationship with himself. For what? To bring glory and honor to his name, but also to have us looking at what? Looking forward to an eternity that we will spend with him. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, God's love, God's love. brings justice and everlasting peace. God's love brings justice and everlasting peace. If we look at verses 3 through 11, we won't read them all, but it says this. I'll just read verse 3 here. It says in here, verse 3 and 4, he says, His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. And so I want you to realize that what, what we see here is that we that, that we now, right now, we live in a, in, in a sin-torn world, right? Do we not? We live in a world where there is so much sin, there is so much injustice, right? That's like, a, I don't know if you know this, and, and I, I assume most of you do, but injustice is like one of the big buzzwords of our day. Right? We're trying to figure out what is just. And some people have ideas of what justice is in different scenarios. You know, when you look at the, the, the situation at the border in the caravan, like people have ideas of what justice is and what is right on both sides of the fence, right? And, and I, I, I guess, anyway, both sides of the fence. I, I didn't mean to do that. But um, nonetheless, you know, sometimes it happens like that, right? <laughs> but, but, but the reality is, like, we all have ideas, right? Like, like, this is what should happen here, right? Like, that's just. Or this is what should happen here. That's just. And listen, I, I, don't even, I, don't, I don't even dare, and I've said this before, when we deal with stuff that's you, immigration policies and things like that, those are really tough waters to navigate because you have two different mandates in the scripture that you have to figure out how are you going to um, marry them together, which one of them is that we are supposed to care for those who are strangers and things of that nature. And then you have another side of this token that says that we are supposed to obey right, the, the, the laws of our lands that are not causing us to sin. And so we have this struggle here, right? And so again, I, maybe next 
next year I'll touch on a little bit more. But, but for today's sake, the reality is that we have this injustice um, idea that is going on. And, and, and I'm sure that you have had plenty of conversations in which you've had to decide between, you've had to figure out, um, you know, what, uh, not just on that, but on other topics where people are talking about there is injustice in this scenario. There is injustice in this situation. So how am I supposed to deal with this? And here, here's the thing is that what we know is this, God's love poured out into our hearts gives us hope in scripture for future justice and everlasting peace. Are you here? See, the one thing, I don't want to negate the fact that we have some responsibility, but I want us to look beyond where we are to what we're looking forward to because that's what Advent does. We look backwards and we look forward. We look backwards to what Jesus did, not just in a manger, but in all of his life. What did he do? How did he operate? We look backward, and we can't help but to look backward through the church, to look backward through what the church did in the culture, in the community, to look back and see from a scriptural standpoint what was happening. But not just that, we also look forward to the day that the Lord returns, a day when there is righteousness and justice for everyone. And so I told you that there was two other things, right? The ancestry of Jesus, the anointing of Jesus, but then we also look at the administration of Jesus and his accomplishments. See, the prophecies we look forward to as believers should comfort our hearts and they should strengthen our faith. That's the reason why we have a scripture of the day in, inside of those Advent books so you can be strengthened in your faith. You should be comforted in your hearts as you look forward to his return. But they should also do something else is that they should move us and they give us a target to aim for as we seek for, as we surrender to the kingdom of God. So what? We we want to be people of justice. We want to be people of righteousness. We want to be people who are living and making our world a better place while we are here, are we not? That's what we should be doing, right? We should be those people that don't just sit by and say, you know, and, 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 I, and we've talked about this before, where people get offended because you say something like, well, I'm praying for you. And I told you about the mom and that shooting, that it was heartbreaking to see her on the news saying, save your prayers. I don't want your prayers. I don't, you know, don't, don't pray. I mean, she was saying, don't pray for me. She was hurt. She was broken. And on one, side, I, on one side, I can empathize with her because as a mom that just lost her child in this shooting, she's broken and she wants something to happen, right? She wants some kind of justice. She wants something to occur. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with what she's trying to communicate and what she wants to happen, but she wants answers. And apparently she doesn't believe that prayer has the answer. But for we as a church, you know, the Bible tells us in the book of James, the book of James tells us that if we have faith without works and our faith is dead. So it tells us that there has to be more than just prayer in our lives. It ha there has to be more than just us knowing what the Bible says, but we have to be those who are doing what? Living what the Bible communicates. Living what the scriptures teach. And so that is what we're supposed to do. And so when we look at Jesus' administration, verses 3 through 5, we know what? His reign will be just and righteous as he defends the helpless and defeats the wicked. I'll say that again. His reign will be just and righteous as he defends defends the helpless and defeats the wicked. And so you know what? We should, be a, we should be those people that as we're praying for and seeking for the kingdom of God to come, that we are doing the same, that we are defending, that, that we are doing what we can do to walk and be people of justice. His accomplishments, the next thing that we see there in verses 6 through 16. Here's what we see. There's four things there. First of all, the Messiah will usher in universal peace among mankind and perfect harmony among animals. Everyone will live together in peace. That's an awesome day that we're looking forward to, is it not? 
A day where we're no longer adversaries, where, you know, we can sit down and we can break bread with, and, and there's no fear. There's no separation, right? There is this peace that comes. That's what the Messiah will accomplish. Can I say something? We are never going to accomplish that here and now. Are you here? We, we may learn to tame animals, but, but listen, that, that's, only, that's only to some extent, right? You remember that one guy? He was, he was the bear, the whatever he was. He was hanging out with the bear. Well, he is no more. Hello. Right? Hello. Right? Like, I mean, it's just a reality. I mean, you, 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 you can hang out with bears for only so long. They are much bigger than you, much stronger than you. Right? If you don't have weapons there to protect and defend yourself, hello, you're going to lose the fight at some point. At some point, you can't just, I mean, you know, it's going to happen. And so the reality is that there is coming a day that we are going to have this peace. And that's not just with the animals and stuff like that, but with people amongst one another. And so we should seek to be people of peace, but we have to understand that we're not going to have the peace that Christ brings until he comes. The second thing is all nations will rally to him. That's a beautiful thing. All nations are going to come to Christ for salvation, for deliverance. They are going to turn to him. Look, woe is the nation that everyone runs to. I don't, I don't want to be that nation that everyone runs to like the Savior because then we are in the place of God. Are you here? When people see us as Savior or a nation as Savior, there is a problem. There has to be a Savior that reigns and rules above all, that all nations come to for his direction. The third thing here, he will gather the outcasts of Israel from all over the world and will, secure, and will restore them to the land. That's a beautiful thing. He is going to do that. The jealousy between Israel and Judah will end, and they will join together to fight against their enemies. That is what will happen when the Messiah comes. He is the one who's going to restore this land. And the fourth thing is he will build a highway of peace from the Red Sea to the, to the Euphrates River. That's what he's going to do according to these problems. These are things that he is going to do. And so here's the thing. As we wait patiently for the king to come and pray for the kingdom to come, we must seek to be vessels of justice and righteousness who declare the truth in love with boldness and conviction to act upon the truth. So we don't just preach the truth, we live the truth. We want to do what the truth communicates for us to do. Additionally, we must seek the peace that only the gospel can offer. See, as we're here and we're thinking about Advent, we're thinking about this season, what do we do? Man, we want to bring the peace of God into as many homes as we can, into as many lives as we can. And you know where that peace comes from? It comes from the gospel. It comes from what Jesus has done. It comes through him. It comes through his power. It comes through his reign. It comes through his rule. And so here's why this, this whole series becomes so important. Because if we are caught up in the commercialization and the busyness of the season, you know what we'll do? We'll miss many opportunities to share the peace of Christ. We'll miss many opportunities to share the one thing that can bring the greatest change in this season of the world. You know, one of my greatest desires is to see many people come to Christ during this season. And I think if the church will do its job, we can bring the gospel and the power of God to bear in many lives. The reason why we participate in things like we're talking about the Christmas in the city, we're talking about this stocking effort, right, for the, for, for the school in Orange County. The reason why we're doing that is because we want to bring the peace of God, the shalom of God into homes, into families. We want to impact them with the love of Christ. The third thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this, say God's love is the reason we look forward with hope 
in this season. God's love is the reason that we look forward with hope in this season. Turn your Bibles with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. <clears throat> As we look back to the manger, you and I cannot help but look through the cross as we are reminded of God's great love for us. When we look back at this manger, it was so, it was so awesome. We went to this um, Josiah's Christmas program at his school, and the kids were doing a song, and it was, it was I, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't really hear the song, but it was a song that was spelling out the word Christmas. And so, you know, they each had a child, and, you know, it's always like, you know, it's a toss-up whenever you hand a child in kindergarten a, a, a letter that they're going to put the letter the right way. And so as it was, we're there, they're singing the song, and as they're, as they're singing the song, you know, the one person, the one kid, you know, raised up that C all proudly and got the C right, amen, right? And the next person put that H up and got the H right, and they got the R, and they got the I, and they got the T, and it was all good. And everybody's always wondering what's going to happen with that M. And the little girl made a W. And so she brought up that W, and everybody burst out laughing and clapping, and it was. And she thought, hey, man, it was great. And then the other two kids did the, you know, the AS. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, I was like, it's true, though. That's what Christmas is about is because Christ was. Christ was. And because Christ was, we know that Christ will be. See, our hope in Advent is because Christ was. He was here. He did come. He did fulfill prophecy. He did all of those things. And therefore, we know that he will come. And the beauty of it is, is that he's here now. And it's all that we hope in. It's all that we trust in. And so I just want to go back to our moment with the candles here. <clears throat> I want you to think about what Jonathan read. And a lot of times when we do... Um, traditional things like this we can miss it when someone's reading you know we may not be paying attention but I hope you'll pay attention to this because this is the explanation for this second candle and I thought Jonathan and Joanna did a great job can we give them a hand they did a great great job there um so I'm not reading this because I think he didn't do a good job I'm reading this because I want to make sure that you grasp this the second purple candle lit on advent 2 is called the Bethlehem candle or the love candle this candle represents love, both God's love for us and ours for him and for others. And it symbolizes the manger where Jesus was born. The manger is a vivid reminder of the great lengths to which the king of creation went, humbling himself for his people. He deserved a kingly procession into the city with much fanfare. Instead, we see him born in a manger, living in poverty with no place to lay his head, and entering the city on a donkey as he makes his way to the cross. Lighting the second advent candle reminds us of Jesus' life of love for us. Because Christ was, he will be again. The beauty of what Jesus did for us, it shows us God's love toward us. And we look back at God's love, but we also look forward to God's love. I want to read Revelation chapter 22. We'll start in verse 16. It says this. It says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root, there it is, and the offspring of David the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who has ears say, come. 
And let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The hope of the church is what? Is that Jesus is coming. And as we look at these candles and as they burn, as they burn out, we know that we are getting closer to the coming of our Lord. And so it is our call to do what? To be a light that shines in the midst of a dark world. The prayer for today is this, Father in heaven, who sent your son to redeem the world and will send him again to be our judge, give us grace, listen to this, give us grace so to imitate him in the humility and purity of his first coming that... When he comes again, we may be ready to greet him with joyful love and firm faith. That's our prayer, that we can imitate him, that we'll imitate him. And here's my closing question for you. Is God's love enough for you to make room for him in this season? Is his love enough? Listen, you may not have every gift you, 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 um, you want. You may not be able to afford those things. You may not be with the family that you want to be with. Not to say you don't love your family, but, you know, you may not be able to spend time with family like you have. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently, and, you know, this is a hard time of the year for you. But my question is this, is God's love enough for you to make room for him in this season? That no matter what's going on, if you don't have, that you're making room for him. You're making sure that it's not just a traditional thing, but you're making sure that you're making room for him. And if you have everything, even, even more so, if you have everything you want and everything is going exactly how you want it, are you making room for him because his love has moved you? If you say no, I call you to repent. I call you to cry out to God and say, God, forgive me for being selfish. Forgive me for being consumed by the wrong things. Forgive me for allowing my heart to stray. Forgive me for being ungrateful for what you've done for me or what you are doing. Forgive me for not making room for you. I hope that you are and that you will make room for him in this season as never before. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your great love that you show us in your son. May your presence, may your power, may your kingdom come in our lives. And may you, Lord God, do in us what only you can, Lord. We thank you so, so very much for what you did for us, Jesus, coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying in our place, and rising again. And Lord, my hope and my prayer is that we would make room for you in this season. In Jesus' good name, everyone said amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Mm-hmm.